Would you please pray with us? Dear God, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we're able to come here and worship you together in this place. Lord, we're so grateful for the um, representation of this day and the meaning of this day, um, not only for today, but for every day of our lives, dear Lord, um, that you died for us on the cross for our sins, and on that third day you rose, and we thank you and are forever grateful. May we um, open our hearts and our minds today to focus on the message and receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Down, worship him now. 
please turn and greet one another. Good morning. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Such a big, big deal. We have a um, cross with flowers on it this morning. This is the first time we've done that in this service. We've had one in the 11 o'clock service. We're going to have them in both. If you missed the chance to come up and put a flower, we have more in the baskets back there. Uh, you could do it during the offering. We like to frame our announcements in the five practices of fruitful congregations. I don't want to go long because it's a big day. It's fun. If you have your newsletter, that's one of the big things we like to celebrate for radical hospitality. Our bulletin is much, much thinner, much, much shorter. Our announcements are shorter. That's because we are putting them in the newsletter. Make sure you get one. There's a digital version as well. It's got a lot more information uh, even than it ever has before. We believe in passionate worship. This is a significant, significant day. For the entire season of Lent, we've talked about the difficulties people have with impeding what Jesus was trying to do, what God is trying to do. We're going to talk about the celebration of overcoming that today. We believe in intentional faith development. We normally would meet on Sunday nights with children, youth, and adults. We will not for the next two because it's uh, spring break starting today. Uh, or starting for kids Friday at 3 p.m. Uh, we believe in risk-taking mission and service. Please note items in your bulletin on the inside of uh, ways that you can serve. We believe in extravagant generosity. The, gen the um, report for finances has moved from the bulletin to the newsletter. And as I promised, you got a much better version with far more information. I want to thank our staff for doing that. I will forget, listen to me now, I'll forget to tell you that we don't have to break this down at the end. We do not have to break this down at the end because of spring break. So don't break this down at the end. And yell at me to say, people, we don't have to break this down at the end because it's so much easier uh, that way. So if you need anything, it's in your bulletin for the service. If you need to know anything during the week, it's in your newsletter. We have coffee, snacks, a security check-in station, and we have restrooms over here. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this space, for your mercy, the fact that you're proactive since we've been here. You created a space before us. You called us to give us an opportunity. You corrected us when we got sideways. You forgave us when we apologized. You overcame death. And for that, we celebrate. Use everything in this service, Lord, to help us to further understand your message, your purpose, your power, your hope in each of us. And inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Let's talk about your opening image for today. Predictions. We make all sorts of predictions. People make all sorts of predictions for us. Let's look at three very different images that have to do with predictions. Fortune cookie. Fortune cookie example might be, be prepared to accept, accept an exciting opportunity. You're like, man. But like, what if they'd given you the other fortune cookie? It was about who handed out the fortune cookies. It was about who made the fortune cookie, and somehow this one got in your hand. Be prepared to accept an exciting opportunity. We're talking about now? Am I, is this now? Is this 10 minutes from now? Is this five days from now? I have no idea. Mostly we just laugh at it. It's humor. Let's look at the next one. Prodigy. A child, an athlete, a job applicant. You look at them and they do something and you say, wow. You are going to be something special. In fact, we love to say before we know hardly anything at all, you may be the greatest of all time. You may be the best to ever do this. And the people who see it, the people who say it, the parents, who, the coach, the um, player, the child, whoever it might be, things get predicted about them and they have to live with that in one way or another. Let's look at the last one. Oh my mercy. People fill out their brackets. They're predicting what is going to happen. This is um, from the Boston Herald, I think helping readers of the Boston Herald who don't know how to fill out brackets, don't know much about college basketball, helping them pick which team to choose. And as you can see, he had Arizona, who I think went out in the first round in the Final Four. He had North Carolina, who either went out in the second round or the Sweet 16. He had Villanova, that's a good one. They're still there. And Michigan State, who went out either in the first or second round. Not good. There'd be a whole lot of marks on that bracket. And guess what? I did the math. That bracket smokes mine. <laughs> That's real. We predict. We wonder. We guess. We proclaim. The Bible has predictions in it too. I want you to listen uh, and you can read along Isaiah chapter 61. The Lord God's spirit is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, and praise in place of discouragement. Who's that sound like? Who's that sound like to us? Well, um, you know, if this were a children's sermon and all of a sudden 40, 50, 60-year-olds had to be up here with me, your number one answer might be the same as a five-year-old. Jesus? Is it Jesus? Yeah. We believe that. We think that. Christians believe that when Isaiah said these words, that Jesus was the fulfillment of it. Now, this is one of the most recognizable voices of our entire faith both the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, Isaiah, saying that someone is coming to do these things. There's so much healing in so many different directions. 
predicting a Messiah that everyone wanted. A leader that everyone hoped for. A person who was to come and lead God's people to God's path. No one would dispute that. Everyone wanted that. The enormous problem was interpretation. Who is that person? Well, when any of us have to pick in a large group who should be the one that leads and we all vote, there's a lot of debate, right? And when there's debate, there's defensiveness. And when there's defensiveness, there's anger. And where there's anger, there is lashing out. We don't have to think too hard about that one, do we? This past week, Holy Week, is the culmination of the argument, the beliefs, the problem of Jesus' death. It all centers around whether he was the fulfillment of what Isaiah said or was not. And those who had power, the leadership of the time, the religious leadership, and the Roman government, the Roman soldiers who were there, those who had the opportunity, the power, the authority, decided he's not. And the number one way we can deter anyone from ever claiming this again is to place him on the cross. He was placed there. He died there. He was buried in a rush because people on both sides of the debate, people who believed he was who he was from that faith, people who believed he was not who he said he was from that faith, both believed equally in the Sabbath. When the sun goes down, that's it. So they rushed and they placed him in a tomb and they ran off and wondered about their very lives. Let's look at Mark chapter 16. Verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, Who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Now, I never got this right until I went there and saw a um, recreation of that spot. I always pictured this monster stone that's just sitting there that no one could move. Well, of course, they couldn't have moved it to be there if it were that either. Uh, whatever. It's a track with a rolling stone going here and going back. But only certain people with certain strength could roll it back so it's not there. And he's not there. So here's your um, second phrase, just after sunrise. I do preschool in chapel every week. With um, The first class is with ones and twos. And the second class is with threes and fours. And on their way into the social hall, they smash their face up against the glass because they want to come hang out. They want to come in. And then you have to pull the door back and they come running in. We sing songs. We dance around and have fun. And then I try to give them a message of what's coming this Sunday. I thought, what am I going to say about today? What am I going to tell ones and twos, threes and fours about today? And so I showed them a picture of a sunrise. The beach, in the mountains, in the city. I said, what does the sunrise mean? What does the sun coming up mean? 
And they said, that's a cow. And I went, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But also, what does the sunrise mean? Um, I'm wearing a green sweater today. Okay, gotcha. What does a sunrise mean? I told him it's a new day. It's a new purpose. Do your knees hurt less in the morning? Does your head hurt less in the morning? Do you feel sharper in the morning? There are studies where if you can get work done in the first three hours of your day, that's when you are going to be the absolute sharpest you can be. Sunrise is a super fast-forward version of creation. The sun comes up and life is here. Birds are here. Hope is here. Purpose is here. You can reset. And there's an opportunity in front of you. But in this case, on this day, the sunrise meant that the Sabbath was over. Their mandated time of doing nothing in the name of God was just ending. And so they were going to care for their friend, their loved one, their family member, when they didn't have time to care for them before. Now, I've been there for 18 years with families who have lost a loved one. And the concern that they have to do everything just right and have it as that person wanted and have it be beautiful, you know, is up here for obvious reasons. If they were told when they lost their loved one, you have three hours. If anybody can get here, get them here. If they can't be here, sorry. How would they feel? What would the emotion be? What would the pain be? Well, they're going back now because the sun has risen. It's a new day. They can move again and they want to care for the Lord. Verse 5. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. Right. Will do. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go tell the disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see them there just as he told you. So if you came back from vacation and the front door was wide open, how would you feel? If you came back from vacation and the front door was wide open and there was a person sitting in the chair right when you walked in the door, how would you feel? Mm -mm. And he said, hey, um, don't be afraid. We're good. Excuse me? Now, this isn't their home. They haven't been gone for fun. This is a tomb and they've been gone for um, a day and a half. So it's a little different, but it's not much different. Here's this person. And the next phrase is, looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I think that is fascinating. You know what that means? That's his identity as a human. Like Joe of Rock Hill. Son of Bob and Lucy. Human. Both followers and detractors wondered about Jesus' humanity and his divinity his claimed divinity. 
connection to God. And so both sides of this question wondered, is he human? But the number one the way that they would reference him to being human is to say Jesus of Nazareth. Now followers wondered how a person from such a small town in such a small place who is just a human could be someone so powerful from Nazareth. You remember one of the first things one of his disciples said? Future disciples. Nazareth. What good could come from there? You know that there's a city around here where you think that. I'm not going to name one because we're from all of them. Right? But you would say it. What good could come from that place? Detractors hated him for claiming such an important position as being connected to God and would say, he's just some guy from Nazareth. Peter's pointed out in this story. You ever make a mistake? Hmm. You ever make 15 in a short period of time? You ever make 15 mistakes when you were the primary point person? Well, something I've told co-workers, something I've told um, people that I was supervising all these years of ministry is, you know, some people don't make any mistakes because they're not doing anything at all. Not trying, they're not speaking, they're not um, uh, uh, reaching out of their comfort zone, they're not trying to do anything. I said, so I can live with mistakes if we're trying. Now, Peter made some trying. He made some they were just flat-out mistakes. And one of those things was, as Jesus was going by in Jerusalem, and they said, hey, you're with that guy, right? And he said, mm-hmm. Never heard of him. That weight, that pain, that guilt, that concern, that loss in that moment is now paired with raw fear. The doors open and someone's sitting in here, and he's telling us that everything is fine. Verse 8. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now that's your um, next phrase. They said nothing. You ever feel dumb in a setting so you just don't say anything? You ever get some kind of report, some kind of grade, some kind of mistake, and you're just hoping that no one notices? Don't say anything. Don't say anything. They run out of the tomb and say nothing. Now this is what's so unique and interesting about this version of this story. The number one version of Easter of the Easter story read from the Gospels is John. John 20, because John 20 is so flowery. It's got such explanation. It's got such uh, running back and forth and figuring out who is doing what and what, um, what it all means. And the disciples are coming back. This is Mark. They just ran and said nothing. Now, you think of your friend group. Which one of them explains way more than anyone needs, even though they're trying to help out? Which one says the least amount possible and barely speaks? And when they do, they say something like this and just drop it. That's the difference between John and Mark. And the, way, the reason I read Mark today, the reason it's interesting to me, is because while the others give more detail, 
more theology, more explanation. This one gives the confusion of that moment and just drops it. Confusion that we take for granted that's settled. Yeah, of course he's risen. Of course he came back. Of course he spoke to him. Of course he did these amazing things. Well, here we are. Of course, we're 2,000 years later. People in that moment just ran out of raw fear. And this is your last phrase. The cycle of faith. That's another reason why I want to use this gospel. There's a cycle that's more complicated than this, but these phrases kind of capture the walk that we're on and it never ends. It just cycles bigger and bigger and bigger. The first one is perceived permanence. We figure a situation is what it is. We figure a relationship is what it is. We figure a church is what it is. We figure God, you know, I don't know what you're doing, is what it is. This is the way it's going to be. This isn't just in this story. This is all the way back to the beginning. That perceived permanence causes humans to just stop moving, stop trying, stop believing. Then comes Sabbath. You ever, you ever just lost your mind because you're tired? Because you've got nothing left? Because you've said too much? Because you've heard too much? Because you've walked too much? Because you've worked too much? Because you've prepared too much? And you have nothing left. I like to give uh, my girls frames of reference for their life so that they can better read people so that they can take stuff less personally. I said, when somebody comes at you and their eyes are fired up and they're screaming or whatever, I said, they ha that has the power to you if you let it to go, are they mad at me? Did I do something? And you start looking around for things that you did. I said, instead... What if you just looked at him and in your brain, never say it, in your brain just go, ah, oh, grumpy. Ah, oh, you grumpy. Because that takes away the bite and the power of that person. I said, never say it. But then their mother came home and she was tired and broken down and whatever. And I, I looked at her and I literally said, ah, oh, grumpy. And they went, no, no, you never say it. You're the one that taught us that. You're the one that taught us that. What does Sabbath do? What does rest do? You go, oh, I'm okay. I got a new purpose. I got a new hope. This sun, sun's up again. I've gotten more than four hours sleep. My brain is reset. Sabbath gives you a chance to pause, to rest, because if you are running 9,000 RPMs, you cannot hear the message, and you figure everything is what it is, and that's all there is. Perceived permanence. Sabbath. Then God approaches a person. This happens in the Bible again and again and again. Says, I got a job for you. Fear. You mean do what? I just had Sabbath. I just got rested. I just got a new purpose. Yeah, and now that you're rested, we're going to give you something crazy. I understand this because typically when I call people in the church, when they don't have a typical reason for me to call them, they go, What? You mean do what? Why are you calling me? Am I in trouble? Is there something I got to do? Are you going to ask me to do something? Whatever it may be. And I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to be the chair of. 
fear. Perceived permanence, Sabbath, fear, and then there's something that kicks in and you have excitement. But in this moment, in this gospel, they're living in that fear. But what's coming throughout this entire season, where we read this for the next six, seven, eight weeks, is total excitement. The unfolding and placing all the puzzle pieces so that they get it and understand and then try to understand, try to explain it to other people so that they may understand and then explain it to other people so that they may understand and then that travels 2,000 years to Greer, South Carolina where we celebrate new life, new purpose, new hope. Things are not permanent. We, now that we've gone through this season and recognized our pain and our loss, hopefully we'll find Sabbath, rest, peace, and when that fear kicks in of a new opportunity, a new purpose, a new hope, hopefully it's excitement that follows. And if so, we'll be continuing the line of connections and relationships between God and God's people. He is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll stand and join me in our modern affirmation. These are words that are important to us in this service. They help us affirm our faith, find new purpose. You're welcome to read along. You're welcome to simply listen. We believe in the God the Father, infinite in wisdom, power, and love, whose mercy is over all his works and whose will is directed to his children's good. We believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, the gift of the Father's unfailing grace, the ground of our hope, and the promise of God fulfilled. We believe in the Holy Spirit as a divine presence in our lives, reminding us always of the truth of Christ, our inspiration and strength in times of joy and sorrow. We believe our faith should be apparent in our words of love and acts of service, that the kingdom of God may be a present reality here on earth. You may be seated. It's now time for our offering. You can give as the plate goes by. You can simply hand the plate over. You can give electronically with instructions in the bulletin. And if you're a guest today, if you're with family, if you're new to our church, you certainly can give, but we don't expect you to. You can rely on the generosity of our people.
Would you please stand and sing this last one with us?
leave the tables, leave everything. We're going to leave it all set up. We hope you have a happy Easter. If you're a guest today coming to our church the first time, we're so grateful that you came. We hope that you come back. Go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen. Have a great week.